0: Welcome back listeners and welcome back to myself. I know you missed me. <laughs> I know you missed me. Um I could feel it. Could feel it from far away here at my computer where I was the whole week. Um <laughs> I have hopefully exciting things coming up. Not sure, but um but yeah, things that are taking me like slightly away from the podcast, but I'm glad that Ellie was able to just completely come in and drop some more wisdom and Monica thanks for holding down the fort.
1: Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I'm I'm glad you're back from the mysterious PTO that I alluded to <laughs> very awkwardly last week. Um and I had several people reach out and were like, are you making money on this podcast like is Taylor taking paid leave? Um what the heck? And the yeah. answer, and the answer is the answer yes. is no, we're not making money on this <laughs> podcast yet, but if you'd like to sponsor us, I'm open to that conversation and I promise <laughs> I will respond to your DM on LinkedIn, so hit me up. Anyway, we are here today to bring you a conversation with one of my uh instructors from Maker Square/Hack Reactor, Sean Bullock. He's hands down one of the smartest people that I have ever encountered. He's been in software engineering for over two decades and he's his knowledge still just continues to wow me, but so does just, you know, his level of communication and just genuine humanness, compassion. I don't know, help me out, Taylor. You just met him for the first time. He's just a a great guy.
0: (laughs) It's like a very pure soul that even if you're not in anything technical, like the way that he has at a high level viewed the entire software industry and has tried to like unblock people and encourage people that to get into the industry at every, at every level is just so, so crucial to like the word, the the stuff we always talk about, which like getting more People into engineering that may not otherwise have chosen to do that. And just like, I'm just like, I'm so in awe of him. It's like he just sits around thinking about how to improve things all day long. Like it's like his brain is just is just firing a hundred percent all the time. Like, does he sleep? I don't know.
2: Yeah. He's definitely like he's using his powers for good. Yeah. hundred percent 110%. He is the superhero that the software. World needs, and yes, good. We are, and we are here. We are here to bring him to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he has really good tips for like just being an interviewer and like the approach. That you should take when, when interviewing people for your company, we also talk, you know, talk about getting into interviewing at other companies too. But he just, yeah, like it's so clear that he's been able to hire uh, like an amazing culture. Uh, or, or cultivate an amazing culture at his company because he just treats people like humans um, and uh, and really like looks at someone as the, as the whole picture and not like a set of skills. And that's how we all should be operating. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, without further ado, here we go. Let's do it.
2: Sean is a self-taught programmer who started hacking away on Apple IIs before there was an internet. Eventually, he began work as a senior architect at freecreditstore.com slash Experian, and then began teaching software engineering and is now an entrepreneurial programmer. Sean learned about imposter syndrome at Hack Reactor, where he was actually my instructor and has been trying to understand it and find solutions ever since. And I would just like to let the listeners know that this is my third take reading his intro because the first time I messed up and the second time we talked for about five minutes and I realized I wasn't recording anything. So hi, Sean, again.
1: Hey there. It's so glad to be here and catch up again.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So Sean, you've been a developer for over two decades, but even before that, like 10 years before that, you wrote your first line of code. So what was that path like from that initial line of code that you wrote to your first professional role?
1: man. like, if I can remember, so that it starts like junior high school. Um, Nobody had a computer. It wasn't a thing. Uh, Most some of the kids on the block, they didn't even know what a computer was. Maybe we had an Atari or something, but I remember they had an Apple II there and it was just for playing games. Like, you know, the old Oregon Trail, Zork, little text-based adventure game.
2: The text-based Oregon trail is such a throwback. I mean, even the, the old, the non-text-based Oregon trail is a throwback, but I had to really like rack my brain to remember the little like green text that showed up on the
1: screen. <laughs> That's the computer. That's it. <laughs> and so they had a book and the book was just instruction, uh, like like coding. And your line numbered even like line 10, line 20, it wasn't, you know, like JavaScript, there's no line numbers. Um, but it eventually consumed me and I never got into sports or anything. Um, but I was way ahead mathematically because I already knew how to play sex and solve for X to that and stuff like that. <laughs> but that's kind of where I got started. And I did that mostly just as a hobby for many years. I, I didn't even know you can have a job doing it. My first job was, uh, uh selling laptops, $6,000 at the time. It was like 1996, I believe somewhere around there. And about every three days I'd hit my quota. Like we had a monthly quota and the other people there, they might hit it after three we, I hit it every three days, um, sometimes sooner. And I took a bus into work. And so I was sometimes late and I would get in trouble. My boss would literally punish me and say, you know, all these things about attendance and whatever. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I loved coding. I loved writing software. So maybe I'm going to go do something like that. So I created an access program to manage my sales. And then I went on an interview and said, I can, you know, I wrote this. And then I got my first job as a professional software developer.
2: So you're completely self-taught. Basically you were learning to code pretty much before most other people were before there was even an internet. Um, but even though you were all self-taught, you were kind of anti-boot camp for a while before you started teaching at a boot camp. Yes. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, so what changed your mind? And when did that uh, happen?
1: You know, it's so funny because I I didn't think someone could learn um, and get started with what took me so many years in and, and, and a much shorter time. And I'd worked with a lot of professional developers, and we all had a similar you know, we we all had a path that was somewhat normal at the time. Um, what changed my mind was I quit my job without a job. <laughs> and I was visiting a friend in Santa Monica at one of those office sharing spaces. And I met people there who were working on really cool things. They were showing me what they were working on. And we were having extremely intelligent conversations And I just thought they were working at a startup and I was so inspired by some of them. And then I found out one day that two of the um, people that I talked with the most were students at at a school and that was only their fifth week. And I really didn't believe it. I'm like, yeah, right. But, uh, when I met one of the co-founders of the school and, and we, we became friends and he's like, you know, we have an opening for an instructor position here. And, uh, you know, we got time on the calendar next week at such and such time. Why don't you, you know, come join us for an interview. And I don't know what it was, but something clicked and said, you know what, this is really amazing. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that um, I could, I could have this opportunity. And so that's how that started. And in terms of the, um, changing my mind about uh, about boot camps. That was actually it. I just saw the fifth week Hack Reactor. The school was called Maker Square at the time, and uh, I just saw the fifth week students and what they were doing, and then like there's just it just blew my mind away. And um, that's when I began to realize that I needed to adjust my uh, my biases.
0: That's so great that you did that and you were so open minded because. I can totally see how, if you've been doing something for a decade or whatever it was at that point, you're like, what the heck? Like, you can't just come in. You can't be as good as me in five
2: weeks. Like, yeah. who are you? But I think that's also like, you know, if you really can't get around that mental block, that's also indicative of maybe like a little bit of an ego problem. Um, well,
0: um, but well, it's Sean, also I, like, yeah they're not going to compete with you at your level the second they get out of of the boot camp. It's really just like a jumpstart, you know, way to like really throw you in the deep end and get you going. Um, but I mean, it's thanks to people like you that, you know, like got, like took away the gatekeeping and the, and the ego. And it's so important. I mean, without people like you, if, 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 you know, you said no, that if people kept poo-pooing it, like Monica and I wouldn't <laughs> be here. So mm-hmm. thanks for doing that.
2: <laughs> I quote you, Sean, all the time when I'm talking about like my progress on a project. Cause I'm like, okay, okay guys, I'm done with the first 90%. So I just have to get through the second 90% and <laughs> we'll be, we'll be
1: good to go. <laughs> that is so something I would say too.
0: <laughs> I just experienced that doing a sample project. I was like 90% done Everything working. I was like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna add some tests, refactor some stuff, and it took me about four times the amount of time that the first 10% mm-hmm. took. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> Is, don't they say that the last 20% takes 80% of the effort?
0: That's another
2: equation. I've heard, I've heard too. that too. I've heard that yep. too. Not not just for like software development though. Like for for everything. Like applying to like any sort of like knowledge gathering.
1: You know that's so true. Also, I think one of the things that that I saw in the in the boot camp that even today I just think about it all the time. I'm constantly reevaluating, like, what is it that I saw and why do I still believe in it? Mm-hmm. And you know, was I just caught up in hype or anything like that? But I think what I saw was um, when you're on the job. Like, it's about, you know, most companies are about deadlines, right? But ultimately, it's about solving problems and getting stuff out the door. And what I saw in uh, the students there was their um, MVP, MVB plus one, MVP plus two. Like, it was nowhere near a completed project, but they iterated progress faster than I had ever seen anywhere I worked. And I just thought that was special because it changed, it opened my mind and showed me that it actually can be iterated faster.
2: What do you think about the way that boot camps have evolved? Because when you started it, Pack I feel like it was just on the precipice of becoming more, these were becoming more prominent and, and attracting more. And now I feel like boot camps are a dime a dozen they're all over the place. I'm I'm seeing, you know, them marketed and hack reactors, you know, grown enormously. They've acquired other ones and a lot more people are attending. So what do you feel about, um, obviously you're, you're no longer an instructor there. So, but what do you, what do you feel like, um, has changed? Have these changes been for the better? What do you think?
1: You know, when I started the, the industry, like in the beginning, you know, people, you would have a lot of computer science graduates that were looking for a job and a boot camp filled that niche. And then by the time I began teaching, there was a transition where uh, more people, it was more accessible to people. And um, over time, I think what happened is it got saturated. Uh, I think the market got saturated. Um, there became some sort of a demand for entry level developers as we you know, entered the era of data science and um, like machine learning and AI and that kind of stuff. But I think it got saturated. And then just a lot of schools, a lot of uh, just jumped in a lot of, um, I'm trying to look for the right word here, but a lot of players moved into the market and the quality you know, is on a spectrum, but I still think there's value. Um, the value never was in the school anyways, maybe like an alumni network, like if they had a strong alumni, but I think the real value was in the student uh, when they're going into their career change, uh, the way they push themselves and the way that they learn, and the way they make those connections and see the hope that, you know what, I can have um, I could have financial independence. I could have a certain kind of career freedom. I could make a difference in the world. I think the real value of any coding school anyways is going to be found through the individual effort. Um, but by far, the industry is just different. It's, it's almost like they have to change the way they teach or, or go longer or have, like, I don't know, something. We're just at a point where it's not the same
0: So it's not the same. I agree, um, but I have definitely seen candidates come through uh, the Headspace interview pipeline that have done boot camps, um, and I I I feel like I've seen um, some boot camps are getting really really specific. So now there's like specific iOS boot camp, mm-hmm. and I actually think that can be more helpful. Like, uh, Monica, you didn't do any Android at, at Maker Square, right? No. So and and I didn't do any iOS at. Dev Bootcamp where I went, I was all Ruby on Rails. Like, don't ask me to, to do one thing, Ruby on Rails. I don't even know what that means anymore. But um luckily, like on the job, we gained those skills. But I think if boot camps can come in and fill those really like those niche areas, um, they're producing like real people that are ready to jump into a team, like an iOS team, Android team, and and immediately produce features. And I feel like that's why you know, boot camps were successful because you kind of cut through all those like traditional computer science principles, which is what we were joking about earlier about linked lists. Like we don't know that because we don't actually need to know that on our job. I'm, I'm sure there are some applications or maybe it could be a serve you to know some of these things, but guess what? If you don't know them, like then you can, you know, figure it out or someone tells you and you look it up. Like it's not, um, you know, it shouldn't be prohibitive. Um, but I guess a question I have is like, you know, keeping in mind these boot camps are changing. What do you What do you think is some advice that you'd give someone now trying to transition into a boot camp or just transition into this career in general?
1: You know, that's a fantastic question. I get that. I get that quite a bit, and I think my advice is really going to always is still pretty much the same that it was. It's It's a great career, but it's it's difficult to break into. Um, so it's gonna take like if you're thinking about it right now, that means you got to hunt down your friends and people that you know and start asking questions and looking for advice. Um, like don't let the don't let the school be your your starting point. Uh, like the minute you want to do it is your starting point and that'll set you ahead because just having a path like if you want to get into uh, mobile development or if you want to get into, machine learning just having a path and kind of having an idea of what it takes to get there can can begin to prepare you so like i don't have any universe groundbreaking advice and any major revolution re, re, revelations there but i think it's just about if it's what you want to do then pursue it because it's it's increasingly competitive and you need to do whatever you can to get an edge over over others that are vying for your first your first position
0: I think what you said is really important though about the like zeroing in on an area that you are interested in even before you learn how to code. And I think Monica and I had that same experience where we were in sales and we were like, no, I want to be building the product. Like, you know, I I wish I could be the one changing. So you have to have that kind of impetus of like, this is something I would want to do because you're going to need that motivation to keep you going. Cause it does get hard mm-hmm. and they're really challenging things if you've never seen them before. Yeah. But then diversifying, maybe you're at your company and you're like, Wow, we struggle with, um, you know. Everyone says we want to use AI and ML in quotes, but no one knows what that means. And I want to be the one to. Uh, no company, in specifically, I'm thinking of here, um, but <laughs> but um, you know, like there are the all these buzzwords, but like no one actually knows. There are only a very specific, tiny amount of people that know a lot about those topics. So you could totally you know, if you keep, just stay curious and open and like, at the same time you're learning how to code kind of investigate these areas, it definitely gives you a, a leg up because no one has that experience.
1: That is for sure.
0: Totally. I want to get back to, to your path, John, because
2: all of these new roles that you've taken on, you were always kind of doing something like completely no, you, you went to sales, you became a software engineer, you became an instructor now you're a CTO, is that, how intentional was that versus it just being sort of like right place, right time?
1: I think, you know, going, going from sales to being a developer was intentional and going from, you know, a software developer to being a web developer. You know, when I made that transition, I'd never written HTML. Um, That was more, it just, I needed a job, they interviewed me, they liked me, and it seemed interesting. So I took it and, you know, I loved it there. Switching to be an architect was intentional. It was such a competitive role to get into. I mean, I fought like hell for that um, and did what I had to do. Um, That was intentional. But becoming an instructor was actually not intentional. And becoming a CTO was not intentional. It was more uh, I was at the right place at the right time, but I was ready for it.
0: Um I think some of those those positions, yeah, when they when they present themselves, like I know Monica not to speak for you, but you had this opportunity, you know to be one of the leads of the Android team and you know, while you didn't maybe didn't feel like it was you were totally ready for it. I don't think I'm blowing up your spot here. I think you've talked <laughs> about this. Um, <laughs> but um, but like you know, at a small company like headspace where where things are changing and an opening comes you know comes along, like it sounds like it did for you and CTO, uh, position, sometimes it's like, this is your chance. Like if you go somewhere else, that's bigger, really intense engineering culture, you may not have that chance for years. So I think like, even when things are super uncomfortable, you don't think you're ready. Like just go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen. You, you fail, then you can like talk to your manager and figure it out. You know, (laughs) it's not like, it's not like you're stuck forever and then you're going to get fired because you can't do that job. Um, things are more malleable than I think we think in our heads. Like we think we have to be perfect and ready and everything has to line up to be ready to make this decision. And sometimes it's just like, go do it. No one knows what they're doing, you know, like just, just go for it.
2: 100% I fall into that very like black and white thinking of like, I have to be over prepared, like 110% prepared before I even, you know, would broach the subject of a, promotion to my manager like I have to have all of yeah. these all of these things line up and I still I mean I don't know. that's just kind of my vibe um <laughs> you're you, you're very <laughs> rational
0: you're very rational you so, do not I leave. mean like to my own fault honestly yeah. like you don't lead with your emotions that's me I think you and I are on opposite <laughs> spectrums on <that> one. <laughs> you know,
1: I tell people I tell people all the time I I say one of the things that you know that like senior developers and junior developers have in common In a sense, we're all beginners because as soon as the next technology comes out, we've never worked with it and we're learning it. And we don't know if we're going to succeed with it. We don't know if it's a mistake to adopt it. You know, the only, I guess, you know, a senior developer will have more accountability, but in that sense, like you're a beginner, we're all beginners, like every year or so we're a beginner again at something and changing to another job it's really no different than, you know, you're going to be a beginner. And yeah. even if it's doing the same thing, like even if you're doing agile and you were doing JavaScript and you were doing react and you're doing MongoDB, you go to another company doing the same thing. It's just going to feel so different. So the fears around, you know, should I, or shouldn't I, or fail, Um, Like you're living with those fears every day, even while you're at the job, it's not that much different to make a transition to somewhere else, you know, once you realize that you're just constantly going to be evolving and adapting.
2: Totally. And uh, another area where I feel like we all feel like beginners again is when we start to think about going through the interview process, Uh, you know, assuming that you haven't been constantly interviewing the whole time you're on the job. We talked a lot on the podcast uh, about how a lot of times software engineering interviews are require a completely different skill set than you deploy on your regular day to day job. And Sean, you actually took it to a whole new level and started your own interview focused boot camp. And this is not the first one that I've actually seen. I I get you know of course because I'm on LeetCode code playing around sometimes I get served like targeted ads to to other interview boot camps as well. So this is now like a whole new genre. Um but I'm curious why why you felt the need to start one. Is it something that you felt was lacking in the Hack Reactor curriculum that students weren't as prepared as they should be going in to these you know like crazy four or five hour technical interviews.
1: Yeah I so I've actually had people ask me that a lot. And I think the answer is as simple as I still felt like an imposter and needed to improve my own skills. So I wrote a curriculum. I had an aha moment where I just saw the light, and I was able to teach it. <laughs> for lack of a better can you, way, can you show,
2: up, show us the light? Like where? How many <laughs> how many binary trees do I have to traverse before I see that light for myself?
1: <laughs> um, hopefully, one. <laughs>
2: Well, let me but, tell you
1: that it didn't, it didn't work. I haven't found it yet. Still dark I, over so I looked at the books and I had people come to me and say, you know, I, I read the green book, which I think is the cracking, the coding interview. I just call it the green book. I read the green book. I did the leak code and um, all these things, but why do I still feel like I'm not learning it? And so I would do a mock interview from the point where they send me a resume to the point all the way up to a negotiation, I uh, try to pinpoint where the weakness was. And when it was in the skills, a lot of it was just, we study algorithms because somewhere it says, this is how you solve uh, a stack or this is how you solve the house robbers problem or whatever, but you don't actually internalize that this is just software, and it's just like um, I remember. I, st- I, I I submitted my first 35 submissions to LeetCode back in 2017. I it it's it made it look the answer made it look like I was the best response for that category of problem. But then when I looked at my answers versus like what I read online, like I like I really had good answers, and I'm not like trying to have an ego here. That's that's not it at all. So I gotta be careful how I say this. But because I didn't learn algorithms by reading a book, i i I studied algorithms eighteen years after I started programming, and I was already, you know, a professional developer meeting requirements and seeing problems. So when I started thinking about uh, algorithms and data structures, I had that. And so I always approach it like, well, it's another business requirement. You're just trying to, you know, you're constrained by memory or you're constrained by speed. So like, what are the trade-offs? And so when I solved them, it's like I teach and you have to start from, from every every algorithm builds on some kind of a skill, whether you start from having to manipulate arrays to understanding a leaked list before you can understand a tree and that stuff. So I built up. So by the time, uh, I was teaching more advanced stuff. It was already, they'd already um, encountered the skills and the mindset and, and it helped. Hopefully I answered it. I feel like I went into a few different tangents there, but. No, that was, yeah. that was great. Um, and I open sourced it, by the way, the whole curriculum. Open source, opened, the whole opened, curriculum. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's Interesting. so nice of you. I, I, I think. Yeah. Where does it, where does it live?
1: Um, I'll send you a link. I don't remember. Okay. But, uh, or I'll pull it up and I'll read it off if you're okay with that, also.
2: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, if you send us a link, we can also post it, put it in the bio, okay. um, which would probably be easier to people.
1: I also created an AI that, since I created a skill tree where every, every algorithm technique has a list of skills. I also created yeah. an AI that if it if, if if it senses that you're struggling with certain tests that it runs on your submissions, um, it'll go back and think that you were struggling in another area. So it'll throw more questions at you in that area. Um, that's not are these like source. patterns?
2: Like if you're struggling with like a like recursion problem specifically, it'll throw you more of that.
1: Um, Yes, um, but even as far back as um, arrays or mm-hmm. um, binary or something, and I was able to teach people recursion from scratch in two hours and have them thinking recursively without much struggle. Um, it's it just requires being able to see it, but that mm-hmm. AI uh, it's not open source yet. But sometime within the year, I hope to open source that also, so people can run through it and uh, kind of get a little bit of uh, of help in that area. Yeah.
2: That would be that would be awesome because I feel like the the biggest struggle and this is the same this is the same argument of why boot camps exist right it's like nothing that's taught in a boot camp isn't available online right like all of this curriculum information is there's tutorials and stuff it's all it's all about having, um, knowing how to navigate that and how to find your path and and what sort like materials to use it's almost like you know you're paralyzed by how much material. Is out there, and it's like, should I use leak code? Should I use this other tool? Should I be doing this tutorial? Should I be... and you end up doing nothing because there's too many options.
1: Yeah, that's definitely for sure. That's where a good mentor uh, could help. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Yeah,
0: I, I just like I really appreciate every stage of your career. you have like worked to just dismantle all of the all of the gatekeeping from from the boot camp to interviews because those are just they're really outdated and as i've been doing some investigation myself and interviewing i um it really like leaves a bad taste in my mouth um i just had one where if they ask straight up only computer science questions that you won't use on the job i'm like okay well so you're trying to trick me. Like you're, you're, you're testing something I'm not going to use. And so that like, that's, that says something about your culture. Whereas other places, you know, I'll be studying the lead code stuff and then the interview comes and It's just like a project. It's like, okay, add this feature. And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I can do that. And it's like so much better. And it's so much more interactive and like shows how I would actually do the job. And I've, and some recruiters have been like, yeah, you know, we've, we've done away with, um, algorithms. And I honestly, I have not seen, I haven't seen an algorithm. I've been asked to do things like, you know, make a linked list, but I haven't had any of those problems where I've had to literally had to code. Like I've had to, I've had to implement something, but I haven't had to like solve a problem out of like what eight companies now. So it really seems like, like all that stuff that I was studying has not come up once. And I'm like, shoot, I should have been paying, I was studying like. <laughs> Just just hitting an API and 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 displaying a list of, of items, which I recommend everyone everyone trying to get a job studies if you're a mobile engineer because that's it's we also just do up. that
2: every day. Like that's literally our that's literally our job. That's like pretty much exactly. all I
0: do. Exactly, like the challenge is that it's like in a in an isolated environment without the libraries you normally use without the extensions and helpers. Yeah. And not like familiarity or domain domain knowledge. Yeah. Just like a flat out blank ass Xcode project is pretty different, but. um, You know,
1: I think some of it is going to be industry. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. specific. Obviously if you're going into game programming, then hands down algorithms. Mm -hmm. That's one area where it's not escapable. So true. You know, if you're going into machine learning. I just had an aha moment in data science a couple of weeks ago, and now I feel like I have a new trajectory. Um, but not that I'm going to go down that path, but I'm incorporating it into what I do now. but there's a lot of algorithms in in that, uh, at least at the layer where I'm trying to work with it. Um, but if you're just building you know business apps or you know you're stitching together like a map so you can put something on a map and have some service that revolves around locations, a lot of that is probably not gonna be algorithm specific. I would actually say systems design is a lot more of a daily practice than algorithms yes. is Yes.
0: Do you have a do you have sections in your curriculum about that? I, I need them. I got some on-sites mm. coming up. Give hand it over.
1: <laughs> I I do it daily where I'm at. Um, like we just have a we have a small app that's becoming huge, but the thing scale think could already scale to more users than we'll probably ever have, and the decisions. If, if you want to have a talk, I could I could point you in the right direction. Um, I do break systems design down and make it approachable, but in that curriculum that's open source, there's nothing. Yeah, um, I love that. I tell people all the time, and you might have heard this, Monica, uh, when I was teaching. Uh, the reason I left Experian where I built and designed along with 200 other people, but I was a senior architect there. And this, and and when I left, it could scale to about 800 million transactions a day and uh, not users, but transactions. One user might generate, you know, many. And, uh, I didn't use any algorithms in that. And it was just systems design, but I left because I wanted to produce the people that I would want to hire. Because so it was so, I would get so many applicants for a role in that company. And that's like fame, like scale and people just weren't prepared. And so I, so even to this day, everything I do is driven by if I was going to hire somebody, what do, and it's not just me, but it's going to be other people in that same kind of role to hire somebody like, what is it that we're looking for? And so I, I approach everything that I do with that in mind. And with that is the goal.
0: I love that so much. I, I mean, I just, I'm like, so in awe of you and I'm really surprised that you've ever experienced imposter syndrome. Cause you're literally just breaking down all of these things and, and helping everyone. And it's crazy, not crazy. It's surprising that you f- have those feelings yourself. Like it just goes to show that They're really not rooted in reality.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was one event that actually began knocking down my imposter syndrome. And that was the interview at Hack Reactor. And the reason why it is so special in my memory is because until that I have a thousand programming books on my wall, and that's not a metaphor. I literally have a thousand books. And they're all, and about a hundred of them are the top one hundred algorithm books from Amazon. And I'm not joking. That's how heavily I pursued the subject and got nowhere.
0: A thousand algorithm books on the wall. No, a
1: about a hundred. But uh, <laughs> the self, <laughs> the self doubt. Like, am I good enough? Why don't I understand this? I don't apply it, but everyone says I need it to get through an interview. You know, like, you really do feel like you're lucky because you feel like if you're going to go to the next interview, you're not going to get the offer. Or the next 100 interviews, you're not going to get the offer. So there's this dialogue that always went on in my head. The interview at Hack Reactor, there was no room for the dialogue. It was get on the board and teach it. We'll give you five minutes before we move on to the next. Once I had to eliminate the dialogue and just focus and get the answer, I was answering the questions. In fact, I I felt like I was standing beside myself, watching myself write this stuff up on the on the whiteboard. I couldn't believe it was coming out, and uh, it took me a little while to realize it's just because I eliminated the inner dialogue.
0: I have I've had similar two interviews where like i was saying it was just hit an endpoint and and show this ui and i was just like wow. dang this person must be like wow how does she spit all this out like i was like wow i'm just really like machine like do, 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 do. okay here's this, here's this here this we need the collection here. like just and you're just going for an hour and i had the same feeling i'm like i know this shit maybe i don't know these random questions that you ask sometime but do I want to work there? But yeah, I really, I feel like that has, that has helped me a lot, like gain a lot of confidence, but it's so annoying that these interview processes just yeah. knock us down. <laughs> we, we
1: know, we know a lot more than we think we do. Totally. So I believe that, I uh, man, I'm a, I am a strong believer that one of the largest contributors to imposter syndrome in our industry is interviews. like,
0: it 100%. It's intentional. It's intentional too, I feel like, from some interviewers. Like, they don't, they try to make it as intimidating as possible to see how you react under pressure. But yeah. I get imposter syndrome as the
2: interviewer. I'm <laughs> like, oh God, they're going to, they're going to know that I don't <laughs> even know what this question. I don't even know what I'm asking you.
1: <laughs> you know how I address that at my company when I interview people when I'm team building? Um, I just get a sense for what's required. And I don't ask anything at all that's not gonna come up in the job. And I'll even walk my, um, my my potential team members through the code base. I'll go into a screen share and show them the app and the code base. And um, the conversation just goes that way. And so often I'll find people are asking for control of the mouse because they want to explore and say, oh my gosh, I know where that component goes or are you using Redux? Have you, you know, or I'm doing this or whatever, right? And it's such a different vibe and people will either say, you know, or, or you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hyper, I'm going to generalize, but, uh, you know, whereas you, I'll get some people that will say, yeah, I'll do anything, man. I'll, I'll come in and I'll write your whole app and this is totally the opportunity. But then I show them the app and they'll decide that's not what they want to do. Or other people, they'll say that is exactly what I want to do. I am so looking forward to expand my skill in that area. Um, but I haven't correlated algorithms to to performance at all. Like I've yet to make a connection that someone will do well in the job or not well uh, based on their their experience. Most of us who built free credit score like weren't uh, like we weren't formally trained, and we built an amazing thing and. In Like it's, it all honestly, it just comes down to systems design. That's it. So I will ask around that because it's more relevant.
0: Do you feel like that's a make or break or is that something that is easily taught? Like, or or if, if someone, if someone is missing those concepts, like how, you know, are you like, okay, you know, they're almost there. Is that more black and white?
1: So I, I actively try to prevent biases you know not just like inclusive and diverse diverse type of biases but even around skills. Mm-hmm. And so for me no one thing is a make or break unless it's the wrong I mean there's there's very few red flags for me. But it's more the big picture. I I can tell when a candidate comes in and they studied systems design a lot but all they did was study. They haven't had the experience behind it. It It's, it's like walking. It's like when you're driving down the freeway and you're looking at palm trees, but then one of them is an obvious cell phone tower. It just stands out like, you know, and
0: (laughs) don't tell me that now, now, now I'm going to feel like they're going to think that about me,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's not a make or break. What I've learned is that people who people who take the time to even learn about it that much, uh, when you put them into the role, Very often, like I've yet to see somebody not start to make the connections between application and in theory. So I can tell when someone has the experience behind it. But it's not for but for me, it's not a make or break because if somebody studied it, they put more effort into it. Whereas me, I didn't study it. It's just me for me. It was on the job through building stuff. So I have gaps. If you were to interview me on systems, so I was, even the stuff that I built and designed, I would probably fail the interview. Probably because I'm a bad test taker. But there's a lot. But people who study it, there's going to be less gaps. It's just going to be the application of it. And people who got it through experience, it's going to depend on what you were exposed to. Um, if you want an interview tip, if you want to know how I determine that somebody has the right potential or not, there's actually a trick that I do.
0: Yes. Give us the trick.
1: <laughs> and I, I actually got it through my interview at Hack Reactor. Um, but if I'm weak in one area, sorry, not if, if, a, if a potential team member is weak in one area, and by the way, I don't refer to, um, I don't call them job candidates or anything like that. For me, everybody is potentially a team member. And my that mindset is, so is always on point.
0: So heartwarming. Gosh. <laughs>
1: If I find a weakness in an earlier interview, like just hypothetically, let's say that they're not very strong with SQL in relational databases. I will tell them that I feel like, well, actually what I'll say is um, we didn't have time to go into depth on SQL, but we're gonna bring you back for another round and there's gonna be more of that. We're gonna go into a little bit of detail there. And I might point them in the right direction, like joins or not joins, or I'll say, Table structure design, um, but I'll measure the progress. If they made progress, then I know that they can grow into future responsibility. And if they didn't make any progress, then usually I will think that they. Uh, I won't usually like like that's a signal that they may not grow and be coachable.
0: I love that.
2: That's this, brilliant. Yeah, this exact like Also, being able to take feedback.
1: Yes. In fact, my interview at Hack Reactor—they gave me a list of 32 items. They said, "Okay, here's the areas where I think you can improve." We're ah. going to actually—they said we're going to do a second interview, and you got four hours. So, 32. Like, oh. So I'll, I had—I'll get
2: right on that. Oh, oh my god!
1: And so I went, and we redid certain parts of the interview that were in question, or maybe I don't know if they were in question, but just how the process was. Yeah. And the feedback after that was, okay, Sean, usually we expect people to improve one or two. And there was one specific one, actually, that they wanted me to improve on. And that was teaching recursion, which I still didn't make any improvement. But they said, you you completely fixed 31 of the 32. The one we wanted wasn't fixed, but everything else was. Yeah, 31. that's a pretty
0: good indication. Damn. <laughs> that's amazing. This actually exact thing happened to me like two days ago where I was like, I bombed that one. Like that wasn't good. It was really bad. And I'm not being self-deprecating. Like it was bad. Like I gave a super simple solution. It took me a really long time to wrap my head around the problem. And then the recruiter was like, Hey, uh, Hey, do you have a time for a call for next steps? And I was like, there's not possibly a next, like what next steps there cannot possibly be a next step. And, and what you just said happened where she was like, yeah, she would like to see like a little bit more in, um, having to do with caching and like, you know, whatever threading stuff. And now, and, and it's, I I don't know if it's intentional or I don't know if she was just giving me the feedback from the interviewer, but now it's like, if I don't do those things in the next interview, they're going to be like, hello, like, (laughs) but, and it also just shows like how hard of a worker that person is. Like, can you tell they went and like, looked it up, made sure they had a better understanding and at least attempt it. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're so right. And I think that is like the single most important thing when you're hiring someone. Like they can take feedback, they, mm-hmm. they don't get too rattled. They're like, okay, yes, and the, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 can just take it, address it, come back, ask questions, and that's it. Um, because you're not expected to know the answer every time the first on the first try.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. So I I look at I've been around so many developers and I've just seen what works. And I obviously I can't put everybody into a box. That would be a pretty rude thing to do to people. But in general, certain behaviors learn, learn to certain actions. And so I try to do a mix of encouraging people during interviews with me. And I get feedback, like one of these days, I should do an interview with you and uh, so you could see. But I get feedback from 100% of the people I interview with and tell me, they say that they've never had an interview like that. It was like talking with a friend. And that's, and that's really what it is. I'm not there to figure out why I'm not going to hire them. I'm there to figure out why I want them on my team.
0: Totally. That's like such a good, good, you know, outlook. And, and, and if, if you're the interviewee, like you, if, if the person is not treating you like that, like in one interview, she had her camera off, didn't ask me one question about myself. And we just jumped in. I was like, huh. Like, definitely didn't feel like talking to a friend. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, those are the, the, you know, that's imposter syndrome right there, because now you're thinking, uh, like, oh my gosh, like these people aren't impressed, but I'm such an impressive person. Like, I tell people all the time interviews are the one time in life where you can talk about yourself as much as you want and they want to hear it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And therapy, and
1: therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and <Yep>. therapy. <laughs> and therapy. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of the two places in life right yeah but when you get somebody that's just so uninduced i mean that will just that leaves psychological effects on me, on me totally you're like it
2: does because it's like at least i never think like oh they're having an off day i always think like i i'm doing something wrong like i i am causing all, all of this is a reaction towards me in some way
1: uh, that might be true if you can't reverse a binary search tree on the board.
2: Totally. It's all yeah. Well, oh, that must be it. That must be it. <laughs>
1: um, I think a lot of people don't have training about how to do interviews. And I didn't either. I um
0: That's your next boot camp.
1: <laughs> how to interview how
0: to interview. Be an interviewer.
1: That I could do that.
0: It truly, it's so important. And it's because like, we've all been in the situation where you're tired, you're in the middle of working and you're like, the last thing I want to do is talk to a stranger and convince them to work here and watch them code for an hour. Like, no, thank you.
1: Do you know it's really crazy to think? The same people that don't want to be there in the interview are the same ones that are so stressed out because their workload is so heavy or whatever it is, right? They're the ones that would benefit from bringing you onto the team.
0: Mind blown.
2: <laughs> it's true, but it's—I mean—it's still hard when you have four interviews a week, and plus the sync to talk, the sinks to like talk about the candidates, plus all of the work that's like piling on top. So it's a can be a lot, can be a lot to juggle. <laughs> um, but Sean, I want—I—I saw—I um, saw something you added to to our doc at the end, um, about your secret project. And I'm to make yeah. sure we have time to talk about that because I definitely want to know about your secret project. Uh,
1: yes. So I'm getting ready to, uh, launch a YouTube channel and I'm still working out the name, but, uh, the idea is, so I hired a DevOps person at my company and I've been trying to do this for years. Like I wanted to get a glimpse into how do how do experts solve problems when they're doing so if they have to do something new and they have five days to do it, what decisions would they make in that area of expertise versus like when you go to a, a typical program and they spent two years, you know, making that program and you get the result of, you know, all that time they put into it. If you don't have any time, what does an expert do? And what can I learn from it? And for the longest time, I struggled to to even pitch that to people. And then I hired a, uh, I had a need for a DevOps person. And it was interesting because I looked at his resume and I'm like, no experience, none. Like, I don't want to interview this person. I need somebody with experience. And my CEO is like, oh, come on, Sean, Just you know, just give, you know, be nice to him and everything. So I interviewed him, and within five minutes, I knew he was going to be the right person for the role. It, it was just obvious, and that was his. He had just gotten a, a certification in in something related to AWS. Nine months later, I mean that was that was a good call. He he just grows by leaps and bounds. But through that, I understood exactly what I'm looking for because. Um, he knows what he's doing in his area and I have learned so much and that can be packaged up with other experts that I've, I've kind of lined up on certain topics like microservices. Um, on certain stuff, with the database on DevOps related topics on Docker and so on. And the idea is If you could see what an expert does to get started and bring it together then what can you learn from that if you know if it's not a 70-hour course but like a 30-minute video where they just get to the point and it does what it is and it revolves around the idea that how many books or classes have you read or taken where you just spend hours learning encyclopedia encyclopedically about this topic but in reality you use 5% of javascript combined with 5% of sql combined with 30% of docker you know you put it all together and you have a product so the secret project is taking experts and and bringing them together to build something and show how show how they approach a how, how they approach a subject and if they get stuck what does an expert or somebody who's really skilled in the subject like how do they get unstuck and what can i learn from it Wow. And it's just gonna be YouTube videos.
0: Getting unstuck, unsticking yourself. Unst- <laughs> What's the name of it? Does it have a name?
1: Uh, I have the domain, but I have not put a website up yet. I could tell you the domain. Uh, there's nothing there yet, um, but it's gonna be called dev.af. That's actually the URL. Dev. Dev.
0: Dev.af. <laughs> That's amazing.
2: That's, That's amazing. so great though, because I i mean, having done some of those like 30 hour courses myself, there's so little information that I learned and retained. And it would, you know, it's like, you, it really is. It's like, I'll usually start this course because I want to improve like one thing. There's like one thing that I'm trying to figure out something that I want to build and I don't need all of that I just like you said like just need to get to the point and you know something that kind of cuts away all of um the boilerplate to distill it down to something that's just actually very practical especially for very complex um pieces like AWS and you know, Mm -hmm. microservices, but for me coming as like a strictly mobile engineer, that whole side is very like black box to me. Um,
1: So that sounds awesome. Congrats. You know, you nailed it because there are topics like AWS where it doesn't matter how many, uh, it doesn't matter how much research you do just to get your hello world. There is no hello world. It's just hire somebody who knows it. Right. It's, It feels like it's such a black box and so unapproachable. But then when you watch somebody start from scratch and give you exactly, give you what you want, no matter the complexity and like, they just do it. There's something to be learned from, from observing what they do. So, yeah, that's the approach.
0: So great. You're just, just unlocking at every step, every (laughs) process, like always looking for ways to, make every aspect of the industry better and it's something that we can totally appreciate and and will help diversify the industry like every single thing you're talking about the way you interview the way you help people prepare for interviews um you know teaching like all of that stuff is stuff that we really need to like balance the scales in the industry so yeah. thanks for your service thanks for your hard work <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> yeah
2: That's this so is, awesome. i'm I'm so glad that we were able to catch up, especially I feel like, you know, given the um the interviews that Taylor has on her plate right now, I feel like it's it's just super uh super valuable. Yeah. Super valuable and and timely content. Um and I hope that you all do get to do a, a mock interview. I think that would be awesome. Having done a mock interview with Sean, I can I can verify that it is very much like like talking to a friend and I wish you could
0: just
2: (laughs) sub him in for every, every interviewer. Um, Although I don't think you'd have much time to do anything else, John. if that were the the case.
1: You know, one of the cool things about where I work is I promote a a culture of your hours don't matter. Go live your life. Let's just get stuff done. (sighs) Yes. So I have here for Is that
0: hearkening back? Is that hearkening back to when you got, punished for being late to your sales job.
1: To be honest, it's very much rooted in in that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> totally. But that's a, but that's true. You're like the best yeah. performer and still getting a slap on the wrist for something that was first of all like out of your control, but also if you were exceeding quota every 3 days, you shouldn't have to work more than 3 days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. 3 days a month. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, um yeah, a lot of a lot of what I do now is actually a a reaction to um, either something I wished I had when I was when I was uh, coming up through the industry, or as just something that I thought was really dysfunctional in the traditional way of running a company. That now that I have the opportunity to affect people's lives, I very much prefer not to make work a source of stress, any above and beyond what it's reasonable for.
0: Preach. Preach.
2: I did. Yeah. I also, I saw your LinkedIn post where you said, I think it was um, was it 35 hours that you said was kind of your sweet spot for productivity.
1: Yeah. I, I do my absolute, this is me. And obviously everybody's going to be mm-hmm. different, but me personally, 35 hours a week where I choose what 35 hours those are and and some deadlines because I actually personally can't work without a deadline. I need, I need to have like a a goalpost. And for me, deadlines are the goalpost. Um, But 35 hours is that's why sweet spot more than that or less than that. And I'm not at the optimal productivity.
0: That sounds right. For for
1: sustained periods of time. Mm -hmm. 35 hour work week but the key is i choose the hours it can't just be 7 hours you know for monday to friday
0: it's so true some days i have way more stamina and some days i'm like what like i cannot read a single a single thing yeah and
2: it's I mean, it's so interesting too because there's there's no reason why that shouldn't be normal except for the fact that we live in a culture that's normalized the fact that we should all work 8-hour days without a problem and if we do have a problem then it's a personal you know it's it's yeah. something for you to figure out it's not society's problem to figure out
1: you know another thing about flexible schedules uh, as i was telling you before the um you know before we got started i injured my back a couple months ago and i've been bedridden i couldn't sit stand or even walk for um until about a week ago and at, at any company, if this was to happen where I couldn't come into the office for more than a week, I'd be forced to take disability. And if I took disability, then very likely I would be fired for low performance or something of that nature. we know that's just we know that it happens. And but having a flexible schedule like we do here, it doesn't matter. I still work like, you know, I can't drive into the office or sit in the office, but I still work and I still I'm probably even more productive without any of the distractions of having to go in. Um, but there's something to be said about, at least in our line of work, where it's more creative kind of stuff about this flexibility, because people are going to work best when their time is on their own terms and not be treated with distrust just because they missed a day. Yeah, all about just being Absolutely.
0: treated like a human. And being respect, just like respect, and like when you feel like you're shown that respect, then you actually want to work harder. Um, if you're given crazy, you know, boundaries and and things you have to adhere to, you like want to rebel. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> totally. Well, Sean, this, has I awesome.
1: this has been so awesome. This has been such a
2: such a good conversation, Sean. Before we before we part ways, do you have any any parting words? Any. <laughs> any more wisdom? you've shared you've shared so much but anything else that you want to leave as your legacy on this on this podcast episode
1: being a software developer is about creativity it's about problem solving so if all you have is an imagination then use it because it's going to make way for questions which leads to answers which leads to all the interesting things that that have in the past changed the world. Like if you think about it, we're always getting new technology because someone dared to ask the question, what if it was just a little bit better? And then they pursue it and then they create it. And then there's that incremental. So just because something was, doesn't mean it has to be. If if it's on your mind to pursue something, then by all means, don't let somebody tell you. But did you hear about X, Y, Z? Your answer should be just wait till they hear abc.
0: Boom. Wow, I feel I feel inspired. I feel like I need to go start a career in software engineering. <laughs> Even though I'm already here.
1: <laughs> you, you totally should.
2: You're going you're going to start from scratch again. Go back, to a, go back to a boot camp. I
0: can't.
2: I know. Yeah, that's definitely not a
1: 35-hour work week.
0: <laughs> no, no.
1: No, no. You know, if you feel like you're being hampered by your ability to be an independent contributor, what I learned through being a leader and having people uh, work for me is I still get the same sense of accomplishment when the people on my team, when my team members, when we pull together and we deliver something. A lot more can be done. So if it's one of those things where you just feel like your vision is too big for yourself, then management might be a, a, a me in your future.
0: That's a really good thing to pay attention to. I like that. Wow. Just dropping, dropping so many nuggets. So much knowledge. Wow. <laughs> well,
1: thank this you This is again, all Sean. I think about every day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. I mean, you have so many, yeah. you clearly have thought about like every aspect. It's so awesome. So awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for, for thank joining you so
1: us. Much. Oh, thank so you great. for having me. This has been a blast.
0: Yeah, I think awesome. this will be so helpful for so many of our listeners, like especially breaking into the space or just feeling imposter syndrome in the space. Um, Literally
2: for for like anyone at at any level. I hope we got some CTOs listening to this <laughs>
0: episode so that
2: they can start modeling their uh, their interview process after you too.
1: Oh, that would be awesome! If I did one thing to inspire one person that eventually inspires an industry, like I would, I would be a happy person because yeah, I, I know I, I can't make that change alone.
2: Well, that we are here for you to make that happen, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I think you're on your way.
1: <laughs> you so and
2: much. us and like our 80 downloads per week, and oh, we're gonna get to 80, 80 in the There's first, my monster syndrome. 80 in the first <laughs> 24 hours, maybe. Okay, okay, okay. We have a lot. Taylor, Taylor handles oh, all the stats. millions. She handles the stats. We definitely don't have millions. <laughs> anyway all right thank you so much for uh for chatting with us and um i hope i hope we keep in touch more uh because you have you have so much knowledge to share and i i hope it's not another like five years before i get to chat with you again
1: (laughs) Uh, no for sure that would be totally awesome
2: cool all right well thank you (laughs) see you later
1: nice meeting you taylor
0: nice to meet you too Bye.
1: See ya.